Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Rad Podcast. I am producer Brandon from the Rob Anybody and Don Show, and this week I have a very special guest, uh, one part of a of a two person crew. Um, that you know familiarly uh, from the from the Rad Podcast and from the Rad Radio Show, I've got uh, Brent here from the Sacramento Paranormal Intuitive Research Investigation Team. Hello, Brent. Hello. And are you considered to be Shaggy or Scooby? I, I believe that I am Scooby, but uh, that <laughs> keeps changing. I think. <laughs> well, uh, and you know, I, I wanted to get you on the podcast as uh, just solo because over the years, or yeah, it's been years, right? Like two years. Since we started working with you guys, or um, is it, are we going I think it's on been a year. year. I think it's been a year. Okay, yeah, time has been flying by. We've been having so much fun. It's been a crazy year. Yeah, it has. And uh, I think the first time we had you and Melissa on the podcast was to do a cleansing. Was it of my house? That's correct. Yeah, and so um, and since then we've done a, a reading, an investigation here at the Rad Radio Studios where we're at today, um, and we did an investigation out at Dyer Lane, mm-hmm. which was uh, very eventful, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and so uh, over the over the last year that we've gotten to know you, um, I, I've had just great conversations with you. I've yeah. gotten to know, know you as a person, and I thought it would just be a good time to have a conversation with you and let other people in on on what we talk about. And um, since it is the first week of October that this you know, podcast will be airing, um, and since you are in the paranormal business, um, do you feel like things get weirder around this time of year? Well, that's, that's a great question. I think that um well let me, let me back up a little bit. If you go back to the if you go back to the pagan times and the Celtic times, they thought that everything revolved around the sun. And so we just went into fall, which was the the fall equinox. Mm-hmm. And they thought that that time when when daylight and nighttime were equal was was a special time, a spiritual time when it was time to make new plans. Um and of course it's a harvest time. And so uh, is the veil quote unquote thinner? I don't know. I mean, that's part of what we try to find out <laughs> scientifically with spirit, measure it with instruments. The the saying is the the veil is thinner at this time, mm-hmm. and um, it does go back to pagan and early Celtic times and a lot of their beliefs. And it's important to understand that a lot of those beliefs were based upon myths and um, early understanding of of. They didn't really have modern, what we would think of as modern science, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just had they just had what the evidence that was in front of them to go off of, and, and so intuitive, they would, and they would invent stories to explain those things. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so now that you guys are booked out to September of 2020, mm-hmm. um, with when it comes to investigations, um, do and with how long have you guys been doing these investigations as spirit? As Spirit, we formed a Spirit in March of 2015. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, in this, in these last four years, have you know, have you noticed that around this time things kind of escalate in your investigations, or is it, is it pretty much the same year round? To to be honest, that's a great question. To be honest, it's pretty much spread across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a spike in activity this time of year, but mostly because of looky loos. Mostly because it's that time of year. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. People are like, "It's Halloween. I want to get an investigation in my home because it's cool, man." Oh, okay. Yeah. So so people have paranormal problems 365 days a year, and that's why Spirit was founded. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you have any? Do you have anything? Um, any personal experience? With the paranormal before you started with spirit, did you did you have any um, hauntings as a kid or like what what really got you interested in the paranormal to begin with? You know, I wanted to 
I wanted to uh, found a paranormal group way back in 1989 when I was going to American River College. Thank God nobody took me up on it because I had no idea. I would have had no idea what I was doing at 19, 20 years old. <laughs> um, but uh, that interest has always been there. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we've never, I've never really gotten too much of a chance to tell you about my childhood home. And that's for me, it all stems from that. It was, um, it, it was, a very, very haunted house. Uh, and I think that a large part of that haunting was that it was in front of this old beat up factory. Mm-hmm. You know, we could actually, uh, about my house and that factory, we could be here the rest of the night just telling you that story. But um, I saw things as early as four years old that I couldn't explain. And that, uh, to be perfectly frank, scared the hell out of me. Yeah, and, and I and I would go to my mom and was like, "What does this mean?" You know, I'm a four year old of overactive imagination, right? It's just know? an imaginary <laughs> friend. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. And it was, uh, it, I knew very very early on that certainly by by the age of five that there was something not right with this house. Really? And, and uh, oh, absolutely. Anything absolutely. that harmed you, or was it just you? You could just see and feel the presence. Uh, it, it the the. Energy came to me in my dreams oh, really? in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I, you know, I, I was at that age where children see things before it's sort of conditioned out of us. So I would see them, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and they would talk to me. The, uh, the, the I can tell the story of the scarecrow man that mm-hmm. appeared to me when I was had just turned five years old. And he appeared to me beside my bed, and he wanted me to go to the, the TV room with him. Really, in, in the middle of the night, and I, and I, you know, he's a five year old kid, and I just I just remember going, uh huh, uh huh, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, you know, because sort of like in Poltergeist, and and I've always wondered what would have happened if I had gone to the TV room with a scarecrow man. But oh my god, I just uh, this was in the middle of the night, like three thirty in the morning, and I I closed my eyes and. And I said, God, make him go away. God, make him go away. God, make him go away and open my eyes. And he was gone. Wow. So that's the only time I ever saw the scarecrow man. Now, fast forward that to um, after we moved to California, I had talked to a relative of my, well, I, can, I can say it was my brother mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And um, I had never really told too many people that story. And we didn't even talk about the fact that the house was haunted until we moved out of it. It was that really? like it was like it was just this very dysfunctional thing. Not that the family was dysfunctional, but talking about our house and uh, that like we had put sunk everything into this yeah. place. It was our whole life. Um, you, we didn't talk about it being haunted until we moved out of it. So it's funny. But do you think it was like some sort of denial while you were in it? Like oh, yeah. we don't want it to be haunted, sure. right? And that's exactly. So what, just ignore it. You know, and I think that that as kids we were like you know. We didn't want to. This was the '70s, mm-hmm. so you know, you start talking ghosts and haunted, and there's some, there's something's haunting me, and I'm seeing weird stuff in the hallway. Um, you're gonna end up in the nurses' station if you're lucky, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, th- th- what uh, what my brother had said. This was as we're as we're adults. We're talking on the phone one day, mm-hmm. and he said, "You know, I had this dream." And there was a well room. You knew that there was going to be a well room. You knew that, right? Well room. <laughs> yeah, you knew there was going to be a well involved with <laughs> oh this. How, how could there not be, right? Inside uh, the house, of course. Uh, right. Well, actually, that's part of the story. The well was built onto the outside of the house after oh. after it was finished. Okay. So what's So what's that about? Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> we, we had this thing called the well room, and my brother said I had the uh, I had this dream of this scarecrow man coming out of the well room, and his shadow stretched across the basement floor. And, and, uh, you, you know, and it was coming at me and it was the scariest thing. What do you think that dream means? And I was like, well, 
I saw him when I was four, if that helps you. Or if no. I saw him when I was five. He's like, so he described something that I saw when I was five years old that I had tucked way down and never told anybody about. Wow. Yeah. So, and, <laughs> That's and, insane. And, and, and you know, they, you know, that's 25 years later. Yeah. And, so, it, and it left such an impression that you, it, know, you guys, you guys can automatically just go right back there. Yeah, I can. Yeah. It, that, uh, that house is just, I still dream about the house to this day. I've been in Sacramento for 32 years now. Okay. Uh, and I still dream about the house. Have you ever, do you have any desire to go back and try to revisit it? Or I, I have. Oh, you have? I have. Okay. Yeah, uh, have you taken your, your instruments out there? No, to, no. no. We offered a paranormal investigation. Um, they took us up on it. It said, you know, we didn't want a camera crew or anything like that. But, yeah. um, you know, but just very lightly, if you just want to do a walk, a cold walkthrough with some meters and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, this was in 2017. And uh, so it, we didn't go all the way to Wyoming for that. It was yeah. it was for my high school reunion. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so we were going there anyways, thank goodness. So we had a great time. Showed Melissa the the state and the town I grew up in. Nice. Um, you know, so it's it sort of... Uh, very tiny small town in northern wyoming uh, but they canceled on us in the last at the last minute oh geez so that was that was okay but we were there um i i made melissa watch the twilight zone episode of uh, a stop at willoughby <laughs> before we went because so that she would understand where i grew up <laughs> just to give you a little reference sort of mayberry with a twist of darkness you yeah know? oh i like it the factory's still there they um nobody's ever built anything on that land really yeah. What kind of pet factory was it? It was a cement factory. So okay. they, they, they made gravel and cement and mm -hmm. bri bricks. And uh, like I say, you know, we could we could go down the rabbit hole just on that story alone. Uh, no need to. Other than the fact that um, the one thing I will say about it is, and I remember this, I was five years old when they it closed down. It was still in operation when we moved there in 72. Wow. And uh, it, it closed down inside of 15 minutes. And that, that and I, it was something, something that I have never forgot uh, to this day as they... Uh, they were uh, they were digging a new quarry mm -hmm. um, behind one of the main buildings, and there was a lot of yelling, and the tractors got shut off, and everybody took off. Oh and my gosh! No, nobody ever came back, and um, that was that was in '74, and here we are in 2019, and it, it the factory has been reclaimed by time, and by, it's just by, by nature, it's just sitting there rotting. It's like Chernobyl, just just yeah, resting there, just like yeah. they left it. Like why? Something very weird happened there, and I don't know what it was. You ever like tried to just like maybe Google Earth the, the quarry to see if there's anything weird? I mean, I don't know how much you can tell from a Google Earth image, but at least you could see like yeah. what the what kind of state it's in. They paved over it. Oh, they did. That's all oh, I can, okay. That's all I can tell you. Wow. That where they had been digging is now concrete. I wonder what they saw. They paved over it, and then, uh, I only know I know only know that from from Google Earth, and of course being out there. Right. Know? Right. Not that I trespassed. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's like something, you know, businesses go bankrupt. That's fine. Mm -hmm. if, if, you know, you know, over or over 40 years later and it's still just sitting there rotting. That seems strange to me. That is strange. Anyways, um, to, a very long winded answer to your question of um, I grew up in this really crazy haunted location. Mm -hmm. And I and um, I, I don't want to say a bunch of things that I can't prove about the factory about the house but only to say that there is a um there's an unmistakable connection between the house and the factory they are connected so there's a well that was yeah. built onto the house yeah and, and this is a quarry that they're built they're digging underground yeah, right so the house, and the house was made of brick i mean you know the the, the you know it's 
I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the guy who built the uh, uh, built what we used to call the block plant—that's what we used to call the factory—also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. built the house. Okay. The, the, the well the well room's made out of concrete, and the and the house is made out of brick. And so I I w- I went into first grade not understanding that seeing dead people walking around your house is not a normal thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the paranormal has been with me my entire life to, yeah. to answer your question. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I've always had that feeling that there's something else yeah. out there. And, and it's just, just been an intuition that I don't think that I've ever, if I have seen things as a child or even, even, you know, growing up, they didn't seem strange to me or they were there and they just were just, there and it wasn't something that was scary there was no scarecrow man or any anything <laughs> like that um but I, i've always <laughs> had this yeah right i just always had this feeling that there's something more and and it wasn't really until i had uh worked with spirit with you and melissa that it really opened my eyes to that other other world and it wasn't really i mean let me, i'll go back a little bit i started doing some intuitive work you know basic reiki and and stuff like that and 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 getting in touch with the spiritual side um, of 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 my world, sure. and that I think once I did that, I tapped into it a little bit more. And then seeing the science side of it through spirit, and and seeing the the spiritual side through Melissa and you, of course, through through, through a certain extent, there's a it was just kind of like a nice affirmation or, or confirmation that there's something more to explore here. And I think that's what's so intriguing about what you guys do. And I'm definitely, I think, what was the last thing we did? Was it Dire Lane or was it the Lucid that we did together? Dire Lane was the last thing that we did That together. was the last thing, that's yeah. right. And the Lucid, it, it was it was one of those experiences where we went into it. This is the the old naval ship, uh, the Minesweeper, that's docked out in uh, uh, the Stockton, uh, is it Stockton Harbor or Stockton? Uh, uh, Delta. Delta, there we yeah. go. Yeah, and uh, they're still working on it and improving it. And I follow them on Facebook, the USS Lucid. Um, and they're, they're, it's great progress that they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're, they seem to be making a lot of really positive progress. I'm, I'm really happy about what I'm seeing there. And, and it was one of those experiences where I was hoping to, to find some kind of darkness, and there wasn't any there. And then we go to Dyer Lane, and I, and, and I feel like because it's one of those hot spots for people just to cruise around, we didn't really get a chance to really dive deep into it, but it, it had that palpable darkness to it. Sure. And without trespassing onto some of that property. I don't think we would have been able to really tap into what was going on there. And with all the, the the ruckus and noise from all the passers by just really kind of put a, put a, uh, put, put a dampener on the whole thing, Uh, which is unfortunate, but um, we did tease about going back there, like during more witching hours. And I don't know, I think, I feel, I feel like that would be a little bit more dangerous. Uh, I feel, I just feel like that place just needs to be left alone, honestly, in my opinion. The darkness takes a lot of different forms. Yeah. yeah, I would say that, and and you know, you you sort of went into that wanting to experience something a little bit dark. You mm-hmm. know, you, you wanted that out of the lucid, and I, to to which I would say, careful what you ask for, right? Uh, you know, because to me, the Dyerlene was a dark experience, mm-hmm. but but it was it was the kind of darkness that was affecting the living more than the dead in that particular case. Yeah, and it, it took that form absolutely. Yeah. And it was almost like the the street was, or the you know, not the street, but that that place was telling us to go. It was, and yeah, and I felt that deep in my bones, like we did not belong there at that time. Uh, and I think that we, because we had such a positive crew, that it helped shield us from a lot of that that awfulness, that negativity. It was there, yeah. um, but it, so 
in your in your experience with spirit have you dealt with a lot of dark cases um i will say that it's something that is fairly rare um i i think that what you've experienced as the spiritual realm is more the norm mm-hmm. uh, of you know the loved ones that have passed on our own spiritual awakening and understanding that a lot of times energy uh, energy is just energy that maybe needs a little bit of direction a little bit of help we've had cases that appeared to be dark on the uh, you know on, on the face of it um it, i remember calling one case in fact where the, they were shut off from the from their room you know from one of the rooms of a, a fairly good sized apartment and this one room you just didn't go in that room because that's mm-hmm. where the ghost is you know mm-hmm. and it was it was really dark and they were very scared and it turned out to be an old guy that had a heart attack in there and just needed to be crossed over and he turned out to be a really nice guy and it went from it went from what we would call a potentially dark case to an old dude that just needed help and a wow. lot of time a lot of times that what it is that's what it is um now does the are there dark cases and does it exist it does it does exist mm-hmm. um and this is this is where i caution people is uh, i would say 99.9 percent of the dark cases the if the darkness if you want to call it that was invited in Right. Um, our worst cases are always people that wanted to quote unquote dabble right because it's going to be fun mm-hmm. it's going to be cool like they read an alistair crowley book and yeah. they're like let's <laughs> let's summon the magic exactly yeah. and, you know and and if that's if there's anything especially the, with this time of year anything that i can impress upon your li- listeners is i know that there's a temptation to say this is all mumbo jumbo and this is all just for fun and witches and goblins and we don't do that anymore we live in an informed society and mm-hmm. that's all that's all just people this is real you know, and I, I've had, and I'm the skeptic in the group, and I can't. I came into the, I came into this group sort of like like Julian Anderson and the X Files to dis, to disprove it. That was that was sort of my role in this group was to take the science and and show what is real and what is not real. And I expected most of it to be not real. And and I've people I've gotten an education. Let me, let me tell you, um, the evil energy, if you want to call it that, does exist. Like I said, most of those cases has been invited in. Don't play with the Ouija board. Uh, I know I know they sell it as a board game. I know Milton Bradley. I think they still make it, mm-hmm. and, and you can buy them. Glow in the dark versions. Yeah, now. you can buy them at the mystical shops. This is a this is a real doorway. You're messing around with real energy and real power and uh, things that want to hurt you. When we're talking about Ouija boards, and they are waiting for you to screw up. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to be blunt about it, mm-hmm. and you know we always liken it. We always liken it to uh, getting a getting a Motel Six in uh, South Central LA and leaving the door open all night while you while you go to sleep. I'm sure it'll be fine because I want the cool air to come in, and nothing's going to happen. That's what you're doing with the Ouija board, folks. Right. Somebody will come into that yeah, motel yeah. room with the with the fresh air with a nice knife or <laughs> right. AIDS or yeah, or, or, or something, and you, and and you know, you don't know what it's you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's not going to be good. Yeah. And, and that's a and, and that's what it is uh, specifically the Ouija boards. Please, please, please do not mess around with those things. They are serious business. I know they're not sold as serious business, yeah. but they are. And then you screw up, and we get called, and and we can't get to you for a year. So think about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm booked up, people. Yeah, yeah. Man, so you guys, you guys are busy we through are. Sept- September of 2020 right now. And I know that after we, we October now. Uh, oh wow, <laughs> October 2020 now. So you're. After we air this, of course, I'm sure we're going to get plenty more people 
right now. That's sackspirit.com. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, I, I do love Melissa. We both love Melissa, um, of course. Um, and it, it's, it's a shame she's not here, but yeah. it's, it's the boys club today. Right? It's the boys club today. You know, and I would just, to, just a shout out to Melissa, you know, so she's the reason spirit was formed. Yeah. She, she has an incredible gift. Yeah. I always wanted to do this, but it, it was finding her and her incredible gift, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and her teaching me that where I got schooled, that this is real. Right. And, you know, I went into a lot of cases saying, oh, this will, this will be a good one. Let me, let me whip out some meters and, uh, you know, I was always respectful about it, but you know, I, I went into it saying, Melissa's gift is real. I've seen it be real and I can't explain what she can do. But I'm going to disprove these people's claims because this is early on, even before founding spirit, you know, because I don't think this is real. It doesn't make scientific sense that it would be real. Mm-hmm. That's just because we don't understand it. It is real. Right. And, and uh, yeah, um, Melissa just has this amazing gift. Uh, I am a little bit ashamed to say that I tested her a little bit when we first got together. Really? Um, <laughs> just, just uh, you know, in a, in a loving way, of sure. course. Um, but, and she just came, you know, came, well, I can tell the story. Um, you know, we're, we're just sitting watching the, watching the, uh, watching TV and, and, uh, you know, she's just sort of scratching my head, you know, the way people do. And I said, okay, I'll pull something out of my brain that you couldn't possibly know. Whoa. You know, you know, and we had just gotten together, you know, and that's, that's some balls <laughs> on you, man. I know. And, Dig up some dirt on me. Okay. So guys, can, <laughs> guys, can, let's just, can we all agree right now that guys can be jerks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I meant it in a loving way. It was, it was just two people talking and here I am telling a million people about it, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, and I just, and like I said, it was, it was right when we first, first got together and, and as a couple and she was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say because I, you know, I, I want you to, I want you to trust me and I know that you trust me. I know that you do, but I don't want to like, I don't want to chip away at that. I don't want to erode at that. And, and I don't feel comfortable with what I'm seeing. Not that it was bad. It wasn't bad. Um, but just, <laughs> but it, what I'm saying, what I'm seeing here doesn't make sense is what she's telling me. I'm seeing something that doesn't make sense. Mm. And I don't want to tell you something that doesn't make sense because, you know, because we've got this great relationship and I want to keep it going. And I was like, none of that's going to happen. That's not going to affect our relationship. Don't worry about that. I, you know, I love you. Um, but I'm just very curious. Could yeah, you, you asked. Uh, you opened yeah, the door. Yeah, yeah. I'm just very curious. You tell me what you see, and I promise I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to say <laughs> or anything like that. You know, and just just tell me what you see. So all right, she's finally was like, you promise you're not going to laugh. I promise I'm not going to laugh. Okay, I see a building with this big giant milk carton on top of it, and milk is pouring out of the giant milk carton. The carton, the milk carton's like a story high. And it's on sitting on top of the building, and milk is coming out of the out of the milk carton into a cup, and that's uh, and 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 I can see inside. And she describes the inside with like the chrome, and uh, <clears throat> and, and there's the, the red stools, and and the down to the down to the the tile on the floor. What the tile on the floor looked like the the, the black and white tile, and it was very very hip. And I was like, and I just like, I I would love to have a picture of what my face looked like right at then. Yeah. I said, well, um, you're describing Cream of the Valley in Warland where I grew up in 1972. No way. They, they, they tore it down in 74, and that's what the building looked like. It was very tchotchke with the, with the milk carton on top of the, the, the place. And I, you know, you, I've tried just out of curiosity. You can't Google that. It's, right. It's, it's, it's too obscure. It's something from a little town of 5,000 people in northern Wyoming that existed in 1972 and got torn down in 74. 
And there's no pictures of this place. And you didn't really go in depth, really, into where you grew up at this point with her. So she knew she knew that I had grown up in Wyoming. I okay. think that was about the about the extent of it. But she certainly didn't know about Cream of the Valley. It's not, <laughs> it was one of those things that's in your memory banks, but yeah. you don't ever talk about it. It's just there. It's just locked in a room of of you know archive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but as soon as she said it, I knew what she was talking about, and and I just looked at her and I say, "You, my dear, are." The real deal. Yeah. And we are going to do something with this because you have an incredible gift and we're going to share it with people. That is so cool. And that's what we've been doing ever since. And and her gift has only grown since then. She is absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, I, I don't think people appreciate the how, how what a skeptical and scientific place uh, I grew up. My dad was a scientist. That's where the science comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a scientist for the health department. Okay. Yeah, and he taught me the scientific method. This is actually, you'll read this in my book. Yeah. Certain things in the book. Are yeah, actually, we'll talk about your book here yeah, in a second, too. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so I was taught, like, you apply the scientific method to it, and if it doesn't work, then then you don't need to spend time with that. And mm-hmm. and uh, so, so we Took, took that to heart and applied the scientific method to Sunday school, and we were asked to stay home after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so so I did I did come to spirit with this very scientific grounding um, uh, background of you know it, it, it's like you know Rob skeptics so mm-hmm. you know are all like well science doesn't explain this you're right that's because we don't understand it yet yeah. no doesn't mean it's not there. Trust me, I've looked. You can't explain it because it's just it's, yeah. it's not unexplainable quite yeah. yet. It, it, we're we're chipping away at that. We're getting there, and and I think Spirit's one of the groups that is on the forefront of yeah. of getting there. And uh, you know, call me insane, but you're insane. I, uh, and I'm not, and I'm not going to argue with you. And I'm not going to argue with you one little bit. It's we're all <laughs> mad here, <aren't> we? <laughs> but uh, but seriously, um, I I would love for Spirit to be one of the groups or the group that proves the, the that hands the smoking gun over and says, oh, that says so cool. here's the proof of the paranormal that cannot be denied mm-hmm. As it, it, it only means one thing and you can't you, you can't uh, you can't say it doesn't exist and you, you you can't deny it it this is the proof of the paranormal which by the way I believe is going to take mathematical form Oh, okay. When it happens, I believe. I believe as as I can't call myself a scientist because I'm not trained as a scientist. I'm trained as a journalist. Mm-hmm. But but having that scientific type of mind, um, you know, I I believe that the proof of the paranormal uh, when it comes, the proof of the other side, the proof of the afterlife would be a better way to say it. I believe that proof is going to come in the form of mathematics. I could get behind that. Yeah, because it's the universal language. Absolutely, I, I think that's the only thing that nobody's going to be able to refute. Right, and it's anything it, else. There's always there's always an explanation. There's always you could have done this, you could have done that. You can't do that with math. Math right. is math. Right, and it's the only way that you could really put on paper to explain it. Yeah, and you know, and we are when I say we're chipping away at it, I'm 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 not kidding. Yeah, <laughs> as they say, a spirit is the only group, and I am including the big TV shows here. Yeah, uh, a spirit is the only group out there that I know of that is attempting to. And I, you know, this is this is brand new territory, so I'm going to use the word attempting to. But we are attempting to nail down and measure the radio frequency mm-hmm. of unexplained energy phenomenon. Once we rule out, it's not a cell phone. It's a, you know, it's not the power lines. It's not the it's not the internet router. You know, turn all that off. You know. Once, once we rule out, you know, rule out the obvious sources, and and we we find energy that cannot be explained, mm-hmm. whether it's static or le- whether it's electromagnetic energy, 
uh, you know, we are measuring the radio frequency of that energy. And I don't know of anybody else that's doing that. Yeah. Do you think that there's better places to hone in on that? Like you, you bring up electronics and, you know, cell phones, routers, stuff like that. It's creating all this noise and feedback. Um, do you feel like places like maybe, I don't know, uh, cemeteries or places that are a little bit more secluded would be more prime locations for that kind of stuff? Or is that just like a case-by-case basis, really? Well, a twofold answer there, I think. I, I, I think that in the absence of any known uh, power source or energy source, yeah, it gets a lot easier to track. And, mm-hmm. and, and if you find a big EMF field in a, in a cemetery and there's no power lines going overhead, it's a lot easier to say what's causing that. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely, um, in a modern home, there are so many things that give off EMF and all that smart of, like, home just, stuff. You know, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so it, our job's very difficult, especially in a smart home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was from that point of view, from a scientific point of view, yeah, cemeteries a lot easier for sure. Um, from a spiritual point of view, I don't think the cemeteries are particularly haunted. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there are ones that are. Yeah. Because of you know whether or not there are ceremonies that go on there or, uh, you know, or, or it's just a particularly bad place or there's a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stories about the Virginia city cemetery, which we were just we, there. We, we need, we, oh, really? You went? Yeah. But we didn't go to the cemetery. Oh, yeah. But we just, we were in I Reno. Believe, huh? We were in Reno for just a, a quick, quick concert. And for, oh, awesome. so we decided to drive up there and we went to the bucket of blood and you yeah. Know, we had a good time in, in just the Virginia city proper. And we had been to the cemetery one trip prior and my wife Haley was actually camping at at the campground there and witnessed some really bizarre stuff from the cemetery um and then she she didn't really think she anything talked of about it. this in one of the podcasts didn't she yeah she yeah, did yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, so yeah. just just uh just a little recap she, she basically witnessed something that was already like documented online and stuff and she didn't do any research prior um, but after the fact, she went up and, and Googled this whole thing up and said, yeah, this, this confirmed she saw lights and heard noises and, you know, lights would move. And it was, uh, it, it would be a lot of fun to take the spirit crew out there Absolutely. and, and really die. Cause there's a lot of rich history there. we got to do that. Yeah. And, um, oh, man, I, I just, I, I don't know what my fascination is was with, with the darker stuff. I think it's just because of the, just the way that movies glorify these things. And I guess I watch too many Ghostbusters and, you know, I, I want, I kind of want that stuff to be real. But then again, you really don't want that stuff to be real. And I, I think I would rather have more experiences with the positive. It's an, it's a natural curiosity. I think, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, I would say it's a sign of intelligence to want oh. to want to investigate something that you don't understand. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, so so uh, definitely, you know, that's that is what scientific curiosity is. Here's the thing going on: we don't understand it. Let's go find out what it is. Yeah. Uh, um. And there, you know, there, you know, again, the darkness does exist. And I just, I don't know. You know, careful what you ask for, but I have the same curiosity. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um. You know, and it's uh, you know, it's just something where. You, you got to be careful, and you're learning about grounding, and, mm-hmm. you're, and you're learning about chakra and aura protection, and you're learning. And once you once you do learn some of the basics about protecting yourself, you, I don't want to say, oh, go ahead and talk to them, but you know, you those are those are uh, prerequisites to even opening up any kind of conversation. If you knew, like, like to pull back the curtain, if you knew the the kind of grounding. Um, and the meditation that Melissa does in the car on the way to an investigation, we don't we don't sit there and talk. She is turned off. 
there. Ah. Uh, she's turned off uh, in, in the passenger seat a lot of times. She, you'll see her taking selfies and stuff. She'll do that. Uh, she, she'll <laughs> she's do checking that. her aura, yeah. making sure nothing's <laughs> right. attached to her, right? She'll do that at first, but then she's sort of turned off, and, and I know what yeah. she's doing. She's grounding, and she is protecting herself and you know, g- going in because the number one rule of paranormal investigation, and this speaks to the darkness that we're talking about, is that you never know you, what, what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you don't. You know, we, we've we've gone into cases that we expected to be okay. This is a dark one. Everybody, hold hold your britches, and it turned out to be the <laughs> devil in the cornflakes. You know, yeah. uh, I was like, damn it, Jim. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, and there's. There's always this look that we give each other, like, okay, place ain't haunted, man. Yeah. And, you know, but then the 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 reverse happens too when mm-hmm. we go in, and, and uh, I think we talked about this a little bit uh, last December uh, on, on the air, where you know we we had a case where they're like, oh, you know, we just think it's grandpa, and there's something in the backyard. I don't know what it is. You know, we just kind of feel watched. I don't know. There's sort of kind of a little bit of energy going on. Maybe you guys could check it out for us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we'd be glad to. Sure, that's what we do. You know, and they had. Um, they had a pretty serious case of uh, some energy that, that was affecting their child. Um, it would, I hesitate to use the word possession because the child wasn't there yet, but something dark was influencing that child. That child threatened us with very adult words, and we're, we're taught, I don't know, like I think, I think the child was eight, uh, and threatened us with the very adult words, and I just thought, and even then, my scientific mind goes to, We've got a problem child on your hands. There's a parenting issue here. You know, why is the child acting out like this? The kid's got Tourette's syndrome There's a problem here. You know, this is an unstable home is what this is. Until he dropped the name of a demon, he couldn't possibly know. Oh, my God. You know, unless they're sitting there watching demon shows every night with their eight-year-old, and I hope they're not doing that. Yeah, and the eight-year-old starts busting out some Latin. It was a fairly subtle one, you know, and I'm not going to say the word either. I mean, I'm that careful about it. I'm not going to say the name. You even write it down. I could. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and and it it was so matter-of-fact. It wasn't even like... He's going to get you. It wasn't like that. I probably just <laughs> distortion in the microphone. <laughs> it wasn't like that. You know, it, it was like, oh, well, you know, if, if you come into my room, you're going to get your butt kicked. Bye. Wow. And I accept it and say bye. So did it, did it, did it, did the kids condition worsen when you guys got there? And did the parents noticeably yes. re- witness that? Yeah. The, 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 the child stood at the entrance to his room yeah. uh, the the whole time and said, you're not getting into my room. Oh, my God. You, you know, with his arms, you know, and the kid growled at us. Yeah. Now, we we took care of the problem. That's uh, good. We took care of the problem. Uh, we did a, del- we, we are not authorized to do exorcisms. Only a Catholic priest that is ordained by the Catholic Church can do an exorcism. So if you ever have anybody telling you they're doing an exorcism and they're not a Catholic priest, her full of run, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, and anytime, and here's the re- here's the reason why the, that is the case the, to exercise the person like we see on the, these ghost shows where you're going to rip the demon or the the black spirit out of a person. Uh, those kinds of cases do happen. Mm-hmm. There there was a time when I would not have thought that or admitted that, but those the, the, those kind of cases, while exceedingly rare, do happen. 
Has Melissa uh, uh, had to deal with this? We've seen them. Yeah. yeah. We've seen them. Uh, they're, they're, they're rare. Um, when it is a person that is, uh, when full possession has taken place, and that means that the person is no longer themselves. Mm-hmm. That means that they are, they're subdued. They're no longer the dominant personality in that body. It's very much like multiple personalities. I know that would be the scientific explanation, mm-hmm. except that this can be reversed spiritually. Wow. And actually, we are not authorized to do that. The reason that, The reason for that is very, very simple. During the exorcism of a human being, the subject could very well die. Okay. And you're looking at manslaughter charges. So because so, somebody's so ordained by the church, it's the, not considered the Catholic, manslaughter? The, the Catholic church is, uh, has, prote- has legal protection from that. Interesting. So it sort of works like the, the sort of works like the Catholic Good Samaritan law. You know, really? that's not really what it is, but, but they have protection from that. We're saying these people invited us in. See, spirit's not a church, right? You know, so they, you know these these people invited us in as part of their religion. Religion is one of the one of the first and foremost things that's protected by the by the Constitution. Mm-hmm. As part of their religion, these people had the church into their home and ha- tried to have us save uh, save this person's life. And unfortunately, it didn't go well. It's not the church's fault, or it did go well. You know, yeah. you know. Hopefully, and most exorcisms are successful. Um, there's nothing worse than a botched exorcism. It leaves a scar on the place like you would not believe. Yeah. Um, so, so most of them are successful, thank goodness. But we're not allowed to do that. We are not. We don't have those kind of credentials. We wouldn't even try them. The, the most that we can do is what we call the deliverance of a property, which means that we're not working on a person. Okay. We're working on the property. Now, if if our if we're able to able to get every all the darkness out of that house and it's not affecting anybody in that house anymore. Then, then that's fine, you know, and and in that way it works. But that's not going to work on a full-on possession where the where the spirit has taken over the person's body. They don't care. Yeah, it's inside the body. It's protected. So you rip everything out of the house, and it's still inside the person. But that's only with full-on. So I would say this child was in the stages what we would call oppression. Mm-hmm. So you have seduction, oppression, and possession. So the child was in the middle stage. Wow. Luckily, the um, luckily the blessing that Melissa was able to do on the um, the property and the gridding of the property that we did worked, and by the end of the uh, by the end of the case, the the kid was 180 degrees, playing with their sibling. They're playing games, laughing. <laughs> they're they're laughing and giggling, watching cartoons. But the weight was lifted in the house too. And they were, and he was a little bit confused about why we were there. Really, he had no memory of it. So how long ago? How long ago was this? It was about uh, a couple of years ago. Do you guys keep in contact with previous clients like that? We tell them if you ever have a problem again, or if it starts back up, give us a call. And you haven't heard back from them since. No, no. Well, no. that's good. And in fact, you know, we do get follow ups on cases like that. Where you know, one month, two months later, you know, and and they're like, everything's great. Thank you so much. Wow, that's awesome. You know, we've um, you know, we've we had. I think I've told you this story before. We had one case where the lady said. Said, you know, it, it worked for them. You know, they got they got closure because she was like, if this didn't work, uh, I was just going to take myself out and let the system take my kid. I'm done. Mm. And that was going to be her next step if spirit didn't work. And well, that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Somebody's because, just willing to end it all. Yeah. Because, you know, the, that level of responsibility is what we're talking about here. And, mm. you know, while, while that wouldn't have been our fault, we couldn't have been held liable for that. You know, obviously, you know, if anything that we can do to help them, we're going to help them. Um, that that turned to, that turned out to be a uh, 
hmm, boyfriend had done a little bit of spell work and botched the spell, by the way. Wow. Yeah. So um, we were able to fix that case. And she told us, she said, she said, you didn't just do a paranormal investigation tonight. You saved two lives, just so you know. And she told us that. And, you know, you know so I've said this before. I think I said this on the show before. People ask us, why do you do this for free? What's in it for you? That's what's in it for me. Yeah. To hear somebody say, say you've saved a child today. Yeah. That's good for me all day long. Yeah. Keep your $20. Gosh, that's rewarding. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to, Melissa's probably, probably going to yell at me. You know, <laughs> of course, of course, donations are appreciated. We, uh, oh, cle- yeah. cle- cleansing supplies are, are, aren't cheap. Equipment, equipment's not cheap. Gas isn't cheap. You know, we do this out of pocket. And I, I, I told Melissa straight up, I, I said, if we ever get to a day, <clears throat> pardon me, where we're, we're operating in the black, I quit. Yeah. Really? Because I'm not going to do it. Yeah, the because it'll change the energy okay. because then then like Rob and everybody else has always said suddenly it becomes about money. Yeah, it turns into profit. Yeah, and absolutely not. The, yeah. In order for the energy and the motivation of doing this to be right, we have to operate out of pocket. We have to operate in the red, and it's always going to be that way. We wow. appre- we appreciate a little help with cleansing supply money or a little gas money. We appreciate that. We're not we're not made of money. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you guys are doing really well with what you're so, doing. Yeah, um, I mean, the fact that you're, uh, you know, the, the rewards that you guys yeah. reap and the way that you receive it and just the, the humbleness that you guys bring into your world and, and the world around you. It's just so refreshing in a world that's so it seems to be just so negative and and uh, greedy and one-sided, it's just so refreshing to know that people like you guys exist. And I know that I'm grateful yeah. to know you. And Oh, well, I appreciate that. And have enough. you in our world. Yeah. The, um, yeah it, you know, growing up, um, you know, the only people that I had to who would even listen to me were the unpopular crazy kids at school. Yeah. You know, so and those, you know, that's not much of a sounding board, unfortunately. If you tell... If you tell anybody outside of the janitor, you know what's going on. Um, you know, it, it, you know they're going to be like, uh, you know, little little George kid's got some problems. He's going to have to take a trip to the booby house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So especially in the seventies. So that's uh, you know, and we all have sort of similar experiences in the scoop. I, I don't want to say, well, mine's the worst. Yeah, I don't, don't say that, but mine was particularly dark. That's yeah. how I know the darkness does exist. Right. And uh, we wanted to form spirit as as a way for people who found themselves in that question in life where I've got a problem here that there's no help for. Mm -hmm. We wanted to form a group that there is help for people who thought there would be no help for them. Yeah. And that's, and and that's why the reward for me is seeing the smile on their faces at the end of the investigation saying the thank you, you've saved our family. Thank you. You've saved our home. That's my reward. That's, that's what I get out of it. And then that's, you know, the, the story you told about the, the mom who was going to give her kid up to yeah. the system and need just to have somebody to go to yeah and, and talk to, just like you're saying, it's, is it's something that you can't put a price tag on. Yeah. You really can't. Yeah, you can't. And, and, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't want anybody to try, you know? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I should, I should mention that Melissa wanted me to dub this, uh, this podcast, the Brent cast. Okay. I hope that's okay with you. Sure. All right, cool. Um, so you did mention that you, uh, you wrote a novel. Yeah. Um, and suffice it to say, it's not very good of me as an interviewer or host of a podcast to say, Hey, I have an author on the show and I haven't read the book, but I I, I haven't read the book. Well, I don't know if I'm an author because it is unpublished. Well, Um, you still wrote it though. I mean, does that make you an author? And and I think so. I I am the author of the book after all. And Uh, uh, it's called uh, radio road overnight. 
unusual title, right? Yeah. So um, before we get into the the meaning of the book, when sure. did you, what 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 pr- what prompted you to write a novel? So that's a, that's sort of a complex question. I you know I'm a uh, journalism graduate. I have a bachelor's degree from Sac State in journalism. Okay, so, so writing's so, in your blood. So writing's in my blood. It yeah. always has been since I was a little kid. I was always like writing little little booklets, you know, little like novellas. You know, like, look, mom, I wrote a story. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's always been there for me. I've always enjoyed writing. I've always been told I had a gift at it. So I was like, oh, okay, well maybe I like maybe I like to write. Then I was in the young authors uh, program. That's a hilarious story and it was self this young authors competition in high school and i wrote this i wrote this short story that i just thought you know you know move over move over uh, uh hemingway yeah move over hemingway right <laughs> yeah uh you know and, and i still have a copy of that and i i cringe it's so bad <laughs> you gotta start somewhere though, <laughs> yeah, right? but right but you do you know you do have to start, you start somewhere and it's funny but um yeah so i always wanted to like okay i don't care if it gets published maybe it will maybe it won't but i, I want to write one novel in my lifetime nice. I, I just want to i want to write that great american novel everybody says they're they're gonna do it. i want to write the great american novel so let's so let's do it so so i so i wrote the first page in uh, 2000 i think uh-huh. um and and the first page it was okay it needed it needed a little some work in it there was an idea there, you know, there was an idea and it was going to be about what the book's about. And we'll get into that. The first page is always the hardest part, isn't it? I'd say the first 10 pages and, yeah. we'll, and we'll talk about that. But I wrote the first page in, in the year 2000 um, and my uh, and my wife at the time, after she found out what the book was going to be about, was not incredibly supportive of the idea. Ew. So that one page sat for quite a while. Um, and then been a the best thing that ever happened in my life of my divorce <laughs> we all make mistakes right yeah, yeah, sure. yeah doesn't mean that she's a bad person it means that it was not a fit yeah maybe the sign that yeah. she didn't like your first page was probably like the first yeah so first it, it, just, it just wasn't a fit i don't yeah. want to say anything bad about her yeah. other than it just wasn't a fit sure. so so that first page sat uh, uh, for um for a couple of years and until uh, until 2003, when I went back to to my hometown, and I'll say it, it a little little town called Warland in nor- uh, northern Wyoming. Um, and so, and it's quite a little town. It's, it's got a little bit of that darkness going on. Uh-huh. You can feel it, uh-huh. yeah, but not in a bad way. It's just that like there's history there, and not all the history is good because you know if we're honest with ourselves, history is not always good. That's very true. And you can you can feel that. Uh-huh. You can feel that history in the town. But it but. The people are great. The, the people are super, super awesome. Anyways, so so I uh, was back there actually doing some fairly investigative, some fairly in-depth investigative work on the house that I grew up in mm-hmm. and on the factory that I talked about to sort of bring things full circle. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted more answers. I wanted to find out what happened at this place that explains the things that I experienced as a child. And I found plenty uh, on that, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I found plenty on that, but I noticed other things because I went into the microfish going. I went into the microfish newspapers going back to the 50s, and I and I noticed something in the newspapers that I wasn't looking for. Really? Yeah, I, I noticed like if you go back and uh, back from uh, I would say 49, 1949, 1950 on, there's all these stories in the newspaper about flying saucers. 
flying saucers this, flying saucers that, UFOs seen over Kansas. You, you know, I mean, in fact, flying saucers was the term. UFO didn't come on until later. Uh-huh. Um, back in the 50s, they call, they call them flying disks or uh-huh. flying saucers. That was really what, that was really the vernacular. Um, and you see it all the time. And then, and then the 70s, you know, and as I'm going through, I'm going through, I spent days in the library and I wasn't like, I was looking for something else. I wanted to see how many advertisements there were for this particular business was one of the things I was looking for but i sort of got sidetracked i was like all these flying saucer stories you know and then in the 70s they sort of start to taper off huh. you know and then it's all ufos 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 you know and and you know and then there's these mass sightings I don't, you're probably too young to remember but there were mass sightings over washington dc you know people took pictures of them you can still see these pictures out there there's a the big deal like in the yeah. 70s all these ufos what was the battle uh, of los angeles around this time too <laughs> right but you, you know what i'm talking about right the the ufos that were just just sitting over los angeles for hours well that and there's been a couple of little different incidents like okay. that i wonder okay. if you, are you thinking of the phoenix lights uh separate incident separate incident okay yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry no it's okay uh, but it's so, probably it's probably similar, yeah, yeah, similar but there situation. have been that has been reported over la and other cities yeah you know and washington dc there there's all these lights new york city same thing uh london um particularly but i was looking you know at american news that was reported in this little this little small town podunk newspaper <laughs> and there's all these ufo stories you know, and then I noticed like it really, and and there was a there was a show called um, Project UFO mm-hmm. uh, in the in the seventies, the late seventies. I think it was in seventy eight, and, and it was loosely, um, it, it was lo- loosely, you know, sort of uh, fashioned after pro- the real Project Blue Book. Okay. So, so, and I believe it was an NBC show, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And especially after that show uh, happened, all of a sudden, not so many stories in the newspaper about UFOs anymore. It sort of started to taper off. Yeah. Um, and then after 1980, it's like somebody slammed the door. After the year 1980, not one uh, UFO story in the nation's daily newspapers. Not one. Wow. And I'm like, something happened. What, yeah. ha- what happened? And, uh, you know, and as the journalist in me got curious, you know, and so that was sort of the... Um, and then if you twine, uh, if, if, if you sort of intertwine that with, I don't know if you, do you, do you remember who Art Bell was? Art Bell? Yeah. The name rings a bell. <laughs> See what he did there? <laughs> uh, good one. Um, so back in the nineties, I used to be a big fan of the Art Bell show. A friend of mine, um, and Hey Barry, if you're still out there, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, who, he and I used to go on these Art Bell drives, and we would listen to the Art Bell show. Uh, you know, on my nights off, uh, I worked at the B at the time, and, and on my nights off, we would go on these Art Bell drives and listen to the whole show. And a lot of what Art Bell talked about was Area Fifty One and, okay. and, and UFOs, and it was, and they, and they, you know, we would we would crack jokes about it and listen to all these all these. Uh, Different people come on the air, and, and uh, I don't know how many people like go back to like 1993 was sort of the heyday of the Art Bell show. Okay, uh, you know, and, and they talked, they had some pretty amazing guests on there. They also had some real crackpots. Well, sure, uh, you know, had some real crazy people. I hate to use that word, but I mean, you know, things that, that you know, you're know, talking about. You know, there was a couple individuals that I'm not going to name because it's a big radio show, but, you know, big broadcast. But um, there's a couple individuals that are talking about, you know, they can see with their binoculars elevators on Mars and stuff, you know. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, damn it, Jim. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and and so then you get into the crazy level. But they had some really interesting 
guests on the Art Bell Show, including people who claimed to have worked at Area 51. Nice. And, and you could kind of tell, like, the people were like, I worked at Area 51, and I, I, there's all sorts of flying saucers. Like, yeah, I know you didn't. Right. And, you know, but then there was people that came on and said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to tell you this story, and if it costs me my life, I don't care, because this is the people need to know. And he would lay it out, and just too much detail to make up. Yeah. You know, and, and knowing too much like this guy had obviously been in the military at the very least mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i was like oh well that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. you, you know so if you if you marry that period in the 90s of the art bell show just sort of that sort of got in my head right yeah you, you know all these conspiracy theories and the government knows more than they're telling and going down the and, rabbit hole going down the rabbit hole that's right and, and so that's all in my head and then i see this in the newspapers in 2003 and there there's something there like for for whatever reason, the newspapers stopped reporting this. Right, government it, said we don't need people. Well, you know, uh, we this. don't know if that's the case or not. And and as we get into, I think we, that's the case. Well, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk more about that. Trust me, as as we go down the rabbit hole. But um, you know, that was that was sort of that was sort of the whole hodgepodge that had me sit down. I took some time off work and uh, and I sat down and I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I, I wrote the first 10 pages, and the t- first 10 pages, I, w- I think, certainly of this novel, probably of any novel, were the hardest. And I had an outline that I was working from, and I had a story that I wanted to tell. As a, as a journalist that was, you know, raised a, a, a patriotic American and a patriotic state and, and a, you know, believe in the Constitution and, and all that, I, I had a story that I thought I wanted to tell. And just writing a manifesto and saying, Damn you! Tell us everything. You know, I mean, that's just you know. Anybody, then you turn into one of those crackpots. Then you turn into a crackpot, and, yeah. and so I thought, why don't we have fun with it instead? Okay. You know, instead instead of turning into another manifesto writer, you know, why don't we have fun with it? And why don't we? Uh, what if I wrote a fictional novel that incorporated the entire UFO mythos in America and sort of put it in one place in a fun silly spy story that's sort of like a a political thriller um and a science fiction political thriller time travel type of story where it's fun and it's a romp and there's car chases and and and, and there's everything that you want to see in a good action movie yeah. and there's suspense and, and you know put all that into one little package uh, put a bunch of disclaimers at the end saying that i made all this up <laughs> which I, which i did and, 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 and you know and it's make it fun because fiction can be very difficult to write but can also be it can also be very fun to write sure and and um my so stephen king wrote a book uh called on writing i think and in talking about being a novelist and one of the things he says is you know you've got something on your hands when your characters start doing things by themselves yeah yeah, and this is what happened. I said, okay, I'm going to aim for 275 pages on this thing, 300 if it really runs away mm-hmm. um, and, with me, and, and do this fictional story about this young kid growing up in Wyoming that gets thrown into the UFO universe and doesn't know what to do with it. You know, and so, and, and that, and we'll make it a spy story and, and it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. You know, and and with, you know, we'll we'll put car chases and gunfire and a little bit of steamy romance and giggity. There is some giggity in my novels Excellent. too. So uh, and uh, you know, and then this character that I drew out of thin air just uh, um, 
Well, there's several characters. I don't say one character, although I was told one character is more well-drawn in the novel than, than the rest of the characters, okay. and I was told this. So, uh, um, and it just sort of ran away with me, and it just... Brandon, I wrote for, like, entire days, like, they're, they're having nothing but coffee. I might stop and heat up a burrito if I thought about it. Yeah. Doorbell would ring. I didn't hear it. Yeah. Phone would ring. I didn't hear it. I was in the zone. Nice. And, and I was seeing this stuff happening, like, in my mind's eye, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, playing out like a movie. And I was like, this is this is so cool. Oh, my God. You know, like, and it, it sounds kind of conceited to say it that way, but that's not what was happening. No. No, no. It was, it was channeling. It, it. It, was that, it was that creative energy just let loose on the pages. And mm-hmm. instead of the... Instead of the maximum of 300-page novel that I wanted to end up with, I ended up with this 710-page uh, <laughs> science fiction, political thriller, time travel, how's that for a genre yeah. um, novel that is just a lot of fun. Uh, however, and there's a however here, and however, wrapped up in that fun and wrapped mm-hmm. up in this silly spy story that's a, that we're just having fun with is... The, the, what I would say the major and most important components of the UFO, I can't talk, the UFO mythos in America and the, the major points that anybody who wants to be serious about learning what UFOs are all about, are they real? Could they be real? You want to know the answer to that question? There is no answer to that question. Right. But, but how to look at that question, a, a roadmap to the rabbit hole, if mm-hmm. you like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I tried to do inside of a fictional framework uh, where it is fun and and you don't maybe go too far down that rabbit hole because it is a it, it is a work of fiction and we all have to remember that mm-hmm. and, and uh, but it opens up the mind yeah it just it, sort it, of you know lets you explore it and you you mentioned that you bring the scientific method into it as well well I talk about I talk about the, uh, the that I was raised by a scientist and right. that, those part two there there are certain kernels of truth in the uh, and the novel sort of scattered throughout, which sure. I, I um, some of the things in the novel actually happens. Uh, most of them didn't. They're little Brent Easter eggs. There's little Brent Easter eggs in there, right ab- ab- absolutely. And uh, and you know what? The the uh, the I, I like that term UFO mythos. I'm not the one that came up with that, by the way. So so, but um, sounds but, sexy. I know, but I do like that term. Um, and and here's the thing: the UFO mythos is, is exactly the same way. The reason that we call it a rabbit hole uh, is because. If you are going to seriously look at the question of UFOs, and this is the exact reason why spirit does not get into UFOs, by the way. It's not part of our wheelhouse. I know that I'm not supposed to. That's one of the annoying sayings, right? Part, part <laughs> I of was our curious there. about this. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, brought up. Because it's, because it's very serious business, and it's something that I don't want to get into because it's it, – it, it, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but it's this is serious business, and the government is not kidding about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and they really aren't. We can get in, we can get into that a little bit with just staying on the staying on the tiptoeing of what's publicly available mm-hmm. and information that's publicly available. But um, the reason that we call it the rabbit hole, I think, is that as you start to try to look at this, if you get too in depth, and I kind of tried to warn you about this, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, as, as you get too far into this question, you will find yourself in a place where it's very, very difficult to tell fact from fiction. Yeah. And there's no, you do not come to a place where you, where there is a line in the sand, a line in that road. And, you know, where you're saying, okay, if I go past this, this is crazy land. Yeah. And, 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 and so I have to stop here. There's no line like that. You, you find yourself in crazy land before you knew it, yeah. <laughs> you know, before you know it. And, and uh, you know, it's this, all disorienting. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are some very, 
very credible sources that are making extremely fantastic claims, mm-hmm. but extremely credible sources. And I'm talking um, in, in one case, and this is just a book that's out there that you can buy on Amazon. This is no, you know, this is not any great secret or anything, mm-hmm. but there was a, a particular book um, that I won't say the name of unless you want me to. Go for it. Uh, that you can buy on Amazon. This guy was a top, above top secret Pentagon official. Mm-hmm. You know, and and he he has a midsection to his book devoted to proving that he is who he says he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, died the day the uh, the book hit the shelves. Seriously? Yeah, but he he was also very very old. You know, the, the, okay. Uh, official cause of death, natural causes. Of course. Yeah. Um. The the book is called and and I would recommend this as a read for anybody who really does want to go a bit down the rabbit hole because I would define reading this book as jumping down the rabbit hole just. As a, as a warning, but you can buy it on <laughs> buy it on Amazon, and it's called The Day After Roswell. Okay, uh, and uh, it's it talks about you know again it doesn't we're talking about stuff that's publicly available here, so I'm not making this claim, but the book the uh, The Day After Roswell it makes the claim that that he was given he was given certain materials um, that did not appear to have any known origin. Right, to put it that way. Uh, and uh, he was asked to re- reverse engineer these materials uh, into corporate America. See, this reminds me of another story. That's the claim of the book. Read it if you want, but it, you know, be ready for kind of a—I can cuss on the, yeah. on the podcast, right? Be ready for a mind fuck if yeah. you read this, seriously. Yeah, The um, this reminds me of a story about a guy named Bob Lazar— have you yeah. heard of him? Oh, yeah. Similar thing. Yeah. He was thrown into, what is it? Uh, it was an Area 50 when it was like S1. Yeah. That that was A lot of base. people don't know about S1. Right. Well, you can see S1 on Google Earth, by the way. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to look that up. <laughs> not, on, not on one of Rob's computers no, anyways. Probably not a good idea. You know, it might be a drone strike or something. Um, but Bob Lazar talks about how he re- Verse engineered uh, the the gravity propulsion systems yeah. that apparently, allegedly they found at Roswell, um, and he 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 kind of alluded because he during in this uh, there's a documentary um, on Netflix that that features him. I think it's called Area 51 with Bob Lazar or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he he talks about his experience in the past with the with the government work that he did, and he was kind of like one of the first whistleblowers to yeah. to really admit that this stuff was going on that he wanted the public to know um and then he just got um he basically got uh, uh vilified and he was deemed crazy and all of his credibility was erased from the records like all the all the credentials that he had from all the the, the schools that he went to sure. and and all the education that he built built up to become this engineer was all scrubbed from the history books. And now he lives in solitude out in the middle of the desert and he's trying to tell his story, but similar to what most people do when they go down the rabbit hole is they, they, they're either met with skepticism or uh, they're, they're, they're told to shut down and, or their, their history is erased from, you know, from the history books. Yeah. And so it, it it is a dangerous thing to to want to dabble in, and I I appreciate that you know that's that's one of the main reasons why you guys don't dabble in that with spirit. No, it's, it's just a dangerous road it, to it go is. down. And you, you notice that I'm staying very uh, very deliberately and in information that is publicly available, mm-hmm. stuff that you can buy on Amazon. Um, I haven't said anything here that is that you can't Google. Right. 
Yeah, they, you know, the, this is all publicly available. And I didn't have a special in for my book. I wish I had. I wonder what if I had, would have published it if I had, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, I did thousands of hours of research for the book, but it was all publicly available information. Yeah. Um, so funny story. Um, and this partially edited story, I think, but uh, the funny story about the copyright. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do the poor man's copyright. Where you just mail it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, you just mail it to yourself. I didn't want to do that. Well, you're talking about a manuscript like this, right? Yeah, of course. I, I think it cost thirty bucks to have it printed up at uh, Kinko's. So no, I, I applied to the <laughs> copyright office in Washington D.C. for oh, a copyright nice. certificate, and they say, um, and they say six to eight weeks uh, for for your uh, copyright certificate. So that's fine. Six weeks go by, eight weeks goes by, ten weeks goes by, and I'm like, I'm fine with that. I was like, it's a 710 page novel, Brent. You know, most yeah. Most submissions they probably get are like 200 pages, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, three, four, five months go by, you know, and and uh, I just let it go. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, you know, it's, they'll it's get a, around to it. Uh, one of the criticisms, I, I, I know, I like, I have like verbal ADD a lot of times, but, but one of the criticisms criticisms that people will make of me is that I'm too trusting in the government. Uh-huh. That I, I I actually work for the government, uh-huh. uh, for the state government. And I'm, I, I am very trusting in the government overall. I, I think the government is trying to do a good thing and trying to govern the American people with the kind of government that we're supposed to have a form of democracy. It's mm-hmm. not, not pure democracy. I think Rob's made that point many times on the oh, show. Yes. So yeah. So, Representative. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's capitalism. It's democ- It's a form of democracy, a medium form of democracy anyways. Um, so, so that's, uh, yeah, something I was sort of criticized of, and I did. Yeah, I did. I was just like, "It's the government; they'll get around to it. I'm not worried about it." You know, at the ten month mark. So they say six to eight weeks, ten, two weeks on the outside. At the ten month mark, I did. If I finally decided to call, I was like, "God, what if they lost it?" Yeah. Uh, you know, do you know what it cost me to ship that to you? <laughs> You're going to pay the shipping cost the next time around. Uh, I'm not paying that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so so I, I called them, and this really nice lady in Washington D.C. comes on Southern accent. She's just like, "Oh, Han, there was a slot delay here." I'm I'm not from the South, so if I offend anybody with my Southern accent, that sounds I more pro- Australian. I apologize. That's Southern I'm Hemisphere. Ter- terrible at accents. So <laughs> Southern I, Hemisphere. I don't accent. mean. I don't mean to. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to uh, offend anyone. I'm terrible with accents, uh, but anyway. But she's all on here. She's like, "This is just a normal thing." I'll tell you what. A couple different agencies wanted to uh, wanted to look at it. That's all. And so it's a little unusual, but you know they'll they'll get couple around. Of different to it. agencies wanted to look at it besides the copyright office, and oh. um, so that we're going to kind of cut the story off there. I do know who wanted to look at it. I don't think I'm going to say it on the air. Uh, but uh, it was interesting, and it was, it was one of those things where where it gave me pause. Yeah, the government's not kidding about this, right? You can write a yeah. you can write a, a work of fiction, and they'll still take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, and, and so I maybe this is just this is just me wondering. Possibly, maybe somebody didn't like that I put it all in one place. Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe like, like your roadmap was a little too accurate. Yeah, I got. Um, I, well, one of the things, and I, I can talk about this. I one of the things that I know flat caused a flag. There's no doubt about it. I knew it was going to cause a flag when I was writing it. Really? It, it, it was, uh, uh, but publicly available information um, was the uh, pretty detailed description of Cheyenne Mountain. Okay. Yeah, and, and that, and they. It's publicly available information. I couldn't have gotten that information if it wasn't. They probably didn't like the level of detail that I went into about Cheyenne Mountain. It was necessary for the story. And then I added some fiction, and maybe I, maybe I added some fiction that's not fiction. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, 
but yeah, so it took. I did get my copyright certificate. Finally. Oh, right on! Yeah, I know. They, they, you know, after after about a year, yeah. uh, after submitting for it, I finally did get it. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah, and and so so it's copyrighted material. Um, well, but, you're you're really selling the book. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> I think when you first presented it to me, and you were like, "Oh, it's 710 pages," or seven 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 hundred. You're like, you're like, God! I told this guy I'd read his stupid book, and he gives me this manifesto. <laughs> no, but now I, I guess because we we've really we we've dived dove a little bit deeper yeah. in, into into what it is. I, I'm I know that I'm sure plenty of people that are listening to this are going to want to read it. Yeah. Um. And I, I want to be able to I want to help you get it out there. I, I would love to. Yeah. My thought is an ebook would be yes. the, would be the right home. That for was it. where I was going with that. Yeah. My, yeah. An ebook would be the right home for it. You still need you still need a platform for that. Right. Um. I, I will be perfectly frank about this. Uh. As far as if we all know what a vanity press is, I feel that the work is too valuable, and I put too much time into it to, yes. to subject it to a vanity press, and I won't do it. Right. I'd rather it sit on my desk at home unpublished than van, than vanity press it. I won't. Do it. So explain what vanity press is for uh, uh, those that might not know. So vanity press is is where it is where you um, and, and a funny story about this too is from the from the ires of the journalism halls, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the. A vanity press is where you pay somebody to basically store your book mm-hmm. and somebody contacts you, you write a book and, and they store it and somebody wants to buy your book. So I now pay you to print one copy of my book and then you send that book to me mm-hmm. uh, that you've printed and then I send my customer as the, I'm my own middleman. Okay, and and I send the book to my customer and that's what a vanity press is. Mm-hmm. Um, is the 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 author is taking all the risk because the, each copy costs the author set amount. Right. You, you charge me five dollars to to print the book, so I have to charge my customer eight dollars for the book. And profit, that's the yeah. that's the way. There's no risk on the part of the uh, of the the press house. It's simply it's simply they're they're essentially a, a print job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're essentially just a, just a, a printer mm-hmm. is what they are. You you order it, pay for it, they print it. And they they send you you got four customers they print you four copies, that's not what a real publisher does. A real publisher buys the rights from the book from you, mm-hmm. and says we want to we like this we want to take a risk and they buy all the rights they take all the risk and they print uh, they print twenty thousand copies of the book and they put it in bookstores. Mm-hmm. And, and some people say well my book's a vanity you press book and it's in bookstores. That's because you paid for X amount of copies <laughs> and, and made a deal with the bookstore to sell them. That and, makes and, sense. And that happens. Yeah. That, that, that does happen. So um, it is a way for an unknown author to to get their book out there. Vanity presses have their place. Here's the problem with the vanity press is it, it is not validation mm. that your book is of any quality. Right. The vanity press, they will print anything. And right. I mean anything. And that's the problem with the vanity press. There's a book out there called Atlanta Nights. Mm-hmm. And it is the it's it's the smoking gun of the vanity press. Some college students some years ago, I believe this was I don't know late eighties, I think. Um, and the don't quote me on this, but I want to say it was the University of Michigan. They got together and they de- and they decided they decided to write the worst book that's ever been written. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was their mission. Yeah, so, it was intentionally supposed to be the worst right, book ever. Exactly. Written. So so um, there's missing chapters. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. There are chapters that are repeated. Right. Uh, uh, one of the chapters was written by a computer random word generator. That's funny. Uh, you know, and, and the rest of the, and, and each of the students in the project, it was, it, they did this for like a college project. Yeah. They wrote the chapter. So there's no continuity of writing. Like, like 
12 different people wrote the book. That's really it, funny. It's though. like 125 pages. And then they submitted it to a Vanity Press and yeah. said, I, I have written a novel. Right. Would, would you be interested in it? And they were like, oh, yes, you you show real talent. They, they give you the whole experience, they, right. the whole smoke and mirrors. And it's like, we're very interested. You show lots of talent, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Hey, you're the next you're the next great author for mm-hmm. America. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get you all set up. And, we'll, and here's how it works. And then I explain it to you that, that you order one copy at a time. And you're like, wait. What happened? Yeah, you know, and, and so like an on-demand thing. And then they and then they busted them out. Then they went. Uh, uh, then they, they, I said, ladies, this had to be after ninety-two because they it got put on the internet. Now, like, oh, maybe it was just later that it got put on the internet. But they're like, no, nah, actually, this is what we did, and we wanted to see if you'd be stupid enough to buy it, and you were, hmm. you know. And so they outed the Vanity Press. Wow. Uh, and and then hilariously, the Vanity Press retracted their acceptance letter after wow. they were outed on the internet. So so you see the problem with vanity presses. Yeah. Um it's no it's no validation whatsoever that your book is anything other than your own brain farts. You're buying you're buying yourself out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that, that that's all it is. And you know if there's no other way to and you really want to get your book on bookstore shelves, you know, let the people decide. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Sideways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. He was like just 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 pay to have it published and you let the people decide, dude. You, you know, he's like the same way. He's like, we're not doing a vanity press. Right. I, I put way too much blood, sweat and tears into this thing to suggest, subject my novel to a vanity press because I actually do think it's good. Uh-huh. I think that it, I think that the writing is of quality. I think it's a quality story. Um, I'm, it would be open to suggestions for improvement from, uh, from an editor, of course. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, is there 710 typo free pages? I hope so. I hope, <laughs> I hope I caught them all, but there, there could be one lurking in there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's just too important to me to, to do that. So I, that's why I opted to like, you know what? The main reason for writing this was just cathartic to just yeah. get it out of my system. Um, but I do. I think I'd make a great movie, to be honest. Well, I honestly, uh, you, you really, you're really yeah. selling it to me now, and I really can't wait to get into it. And I do apologize that I didn't read no, enough to, to really talk about it intelligently. I but I, I think you did a pretty good job. Oh, at, thank you. I appreciate that. And <laughs> uh, selling it, man. Do, do we want to? I know, I know that uh, your listeners are going to be dying to know what that strange title is all about. Yeah, please explain Radio Road Overnight. So it kind of goes back in my brain to those Art Bell drives, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and it's funny, like, as you read it, you're going to see yourself in this novel because it's a kid that grew up with radio. Okay. And went like right into radio. Nice. So, so I was laughing about that. He's going, he's going to think I wrote this about him. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, to be, to be clear, this novel was, was written from, uh, from 2003 to 2007 and completed in 2007. Took nice. another year after that to edit it. But uh, Radio Road Overnight is a story about uh, two adolescent boys uh, growing up in northern Wyoming who, uh, who who jump on this mysterious old steam train that keeps going by their house uh, on on the Burlington Northern freight tracks in the middle of the night. And Was this a real train uh, from your from your history, or is this part uh, of the fiction? Again, nuggets of truth, but uh, fair to say that it's part of the fiction. Okay, there was no steam train. Got it. <laughs> uh, there was something about the steam train that has a little nugget of truth in it, uh, it. Uh, uh, but um, for the most part, the, the the train is entirely fictional, um, except that the locomotive was real. Okay, uh, uh, it's a real lo- locomotive, and 
we can talk about that. But anyways, there's this, uh, the steam train, that, uh, very peculiar kind of things that they're seeing with this steam train. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And it's the Burlington Northern Freight tra- Track. So boys being boys, they decide on a mutual dare to jump on this damn thing mm-hmm. and, and see, see what it's all about. And they are thrust into a world of international espionage mm-hmm. and, and UFOs and, and time travel and impossible technologies that should not exist. And their lives are never the same. And that, that's what the book's about. I'm sold. <laughs> I, I can't wait to read it, honestly. And I'm so glad I'm so glad that you're you're kind enough to send me the, the, the yeah. manuscript. And and... Radio Road Overnight is the name of the train. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> Hence the train on the cover here. Yeah. That's the name of the train. Yeah, man. That, that's so cool. Yeah, so, and uh, that cover's just a mock-up. I, God, I wish it was real. Is it still a concept, so, like, concept it, there? It, for it's, what kind of cover so you want to I, I would probably just, like, most covers get drawn, so, you know, yeah. so you don't worry about, like, you know, photographs or anything. Who sure. took the photograph, that kind of thing. So, but th- that would sort of be a concept of it would look something like that. All yeah, right, yeah, cool, sort cool. of Sort of my idea. Nice. Um, you should probably put a little UFO up there. Or is yeah, that too cheesy? That would probably be a little too cheesy. Eh, I, I kind of like the glow. What's causing the glow? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the glow in the clouds. It's, is it thunder or is it something entering yeah, the atmosphere? That, I really like that. Yeah, and yeah. That, that I, I uh, uh, that's that's a photo that that I uh, yeah I doctored up a little bit. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and then there's just I, I thought it really after I got done messing with it. Uh, yeah, I thought it really sort of in- encapsulated sort of what the what the story is about. It all revolves around the steam train, and the train itself is a metaphor. Nice. The train itself is a metaphor for um, waking up. Okay. In fact, one of the no- one of the chapters is called "Waking Up." Nice. And uh, then chapter fifteen is it is sort of almost this novella inside the novel where they where they have to get from point A to point B. I don't want to give too much away. So uh, <laughs> they have to get from point A to point B, and uh, it's under the direst of dire circumstances that they have to get from point A to point B. So um, they have this this little mini adventure. It's a hundred page chapter, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and it's sort of almost with a little help, you can make a novella out of that chapter if you if you wanted to. And it was one of the most fun chapters to write in the whole book. I just, I just had a ball writing that nice. chapter um and, and a lot of this a lot of the stuff is we go back to those uh art bell calls where there was some there were some calls where you were either listening or you weren't yeah and if you you, you either missed it or you didn't mm-hmm. you know and they didn't repeat it right there's no on demand no podcasting or anything okay. nothing online about it right you know just, just a, out there in the ether for, for all uh, you know unless you have a tape of it and i've got uh, maybe i shouldn't say this on the air but I, I, i've got a uh a collection of Art Bell's tapes. Oh, we've always uh, recorded yeah, I, stuff on cassette I, I, tapes right. in the radio. Oh my God, yeah. I loved it. I've got this great Art Bell collection. Probably nice. a whole bunch of other people did the same thing, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, so, um, but I was just, I was really into it. But right. and I don't, if I have that particular night, I wouldn't know where to begin looking for it. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, some of those things did make it into the book. Um, and um, I think I will say this, um, uh, Mr. Bojangles, uh, is uh, the name of an animal in in the book, okay. and Mr. Bojangles was based on one of those telephone calls to the Art Bell Show. Oh, cool! Right yeah. on. So, is it true? Did it really happen? I don't right. know. I don't know. It was, a, it was a phone call to a radio show. The guy could guy could have been high for all I know. Exactly. But probably like one of our listeners. But it, but it convinced me, so I included <laughs> it in the book. That's so cool. Have you ever considered? I mean, be, given the length of you and the fact that there's a novella right in the middle of it. 
They were considered like breaking it up into parts, kind of like a Harry Potter series or something like that. So like the Radio Road Overnight series. The problem with that is I already I'm already on chapter three of the sequel. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> but I but I have it's been a long time since I've worked on it. That was before Spirit got formed. Oh, okay. So now and, your time's so all taken. That, that's one of my back burner projects, and nice. I've got a million of them. Yeah, uh, I, I, I I'm one of those people that. That just sort of has their hands in everything, you know. Scattered. Like, oh yeah, let's play with this. Let's play with this. Let's play with this. You know. Me too. I sort of, I sort of have a cerebral ADD where I just, thought, you know, <laughs> I've, I've got to have my hands on everything. I think I just, just everything interests me. That's I'm, awesome. I'm curious about everything. I have that scientific curiosity about everything. So I just want to know. To, to use a line from my novel, I want to know what and why everything is. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I think that's why we get along so well. Yeah, you know, because anybody who anybody out there. Who thinks they have all the answers for everything, and you know what and why everything is? Let me tell you right now, buddy, you don't. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you that you don't. <laughs> one one of the things about answering some of those questions about what and why everything is is that you are you get an education of how very little you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's the if you come to that place in your life, I say you're a success. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I because mean, that, that's the where all end all. You realize, crap, I've, I've read. 10,000 books and I don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you come to that place in your in your life, you've accomplished something. Absolutely. I think we're all here to experience and learn yeah. Yeah. and 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 contribute to the to the source and <laughs> you know, we're getting a little more mumbo jumbo here, but I I think that it's uh we're we're all on a on a path and um I think a lot of the path is is knowledge and I think we're just eking towards the truth mm-hmm. step by step in each pass we do on this weird planet of ours. Yeah. I was say, I don't want to like, cause I don't want to give anything away, but one of the things I, I come up with, you know, like I was saying that like the proof of the afterlife is going to be in mathematical form. Mm-hmm. I come up with what I think it would take for, for the UFO mythos to go away and for everybody to say, Oh, okay. So aliens exist. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. Oh God. Who knew? You, you know, so I come up with in the book what I think it would take for that to happen. Okay. Um, one one of the things that um, one of the things that I did want to mention about the book too is that it, there is um, even though even though it's this fun fictional thing, there is this. I hate to use the word criticism, but there's a criticism of uh, something that the United States government has let happen in this country. And so, in the even though I'm a very patriotic person, and I and I. Do believe in the government? It's because I believe in the government that I have a criticism of the government, which is in the First Amendment, by the way, that we get to do that. Hello, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> and and uh, it's a criticism of saying, you know, I, I'm behind you guys 100, percent but I think you screwed up here, and I think that I think you need to make it right. Yeah, and it's going to take the government to do that. Not just not just the Independence Day scenario right. where they just show up just and show you up, see right, it, right. But it's got to be them that says, you know what? I think they, I think they've got to say, oh, my bad, busted. Well, I think that's got to be that. You did, know, did you hear about uh, one of the news stories recently? Um, Tom DeLong of Blink One Eighty Two. I knew this was. Gonna, I knew this was going to come up because of you know it's similar similar vein, right? Sure, of course. Uh, so he released a video, some naval footage, mm-hmm. right, um, of UFOs, and it eventually came out that the Navy said, oh, yeah, by the way, that is real footage, but it wasn't supposed to be released. Correct. So they validated his his uh, release of that footage, giving him credibility. Absolutely. But 
no further explanation yep. as to what it was, and they, they call, just said this is a mistake. Yeah, they called it a uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, right. a, a UAP. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about tonight was my love of aviation, and we don't have to get into that. Although I know that um, Rob's into flight simulators, so yeah, it, yeah, that that that's some common ground where he and I could have a discussion someday because I am a big flight simulator geek. I like flying airliners myself. It's the that goes into another. You think you were podcast. you were a pilot in a previous life, right? Yeah, that gets into that. I didn't want, yeah. didn't want to mix mash too much, but oh, good. Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, I love flying airliners. You would think that would be boring, you know, but it it, it just it fascinates me. I yeah. love love flying the big jumbo jets. It just I just really. Anyways, I kind of had an idea. I had a pretty good idea of you know because you, you're gonna fly the, the the military aircraft and flight simulator you know you're gonna yeah and don't of say don't say you're not you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna fly the fun ones you know you are oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, I had a fairly good understanding I like to think of what I was looking at in that mm-hmm. video and they were flying at thirty thousand feet or just uh, just under thirty thousand feet I think and so that's important by itself because mm-hmm. now we're not okay it's not it's something that popped up off the ground no it's not thirty thousand feet right so you know let's let's understand what we're looking at. I you know, and that was a, that was a FLIR image, which is forward-looking infrared radar. Um, you know, and so looking at the object, the object's not dust on the lens. I think did Don say that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Don. <laughs> um, but it, it, what you have to understand is, is that the FLIR system in in a very advanced uh, uh, war warbird, you know, the uh, the uh, the F-18 Super Hornet. I believe it is. Um, it has a radar missile lock on this uh, on this object. So using the FLIR system, that doesn't mean that they're going to fire a missile at it. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's going to track the target because that's what this thing's made to do: track targets and fire at it. Right. That, that's that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the the computer's going to track that target in case in case something happens. Like oh god, oh god, it's firing, fire, fire all missiles. You know, the computer's ready for that moment. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's got a radar lock on this object, and they are in a constant climb, and then they're in a constant bank. Uh, so I mean, the, the aircraft is turning, and and they they are. This guy's got to be close to full afterburners. Wow. Going after this thing, um, they, they're flying. At, they're flying at some some. They're over Mach, anyways, which is the speed of sound. They're going faster than the speed of sound, and this thing's losing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it's but they're they're tracking it. But what's interesting about the video is not really any of that so much as the fact that the thing suddenly makes a pretty much a right angle turn and just goes off the screen. Yeah, it, it just, that's right. It, 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 it's just going off and sudden. It's just like it, you can tell. Like it sort of got tired of it. Yeah, you know, it was just like okay, I'm done. Bye. Pew! Off to the side. It, it just just made it a 90, ninety degree, almost right angle turn. Almost. It's a trip to watch. Yeah, uh, you know, it's as a and, unless I'm just woefully misinformed, which our government has toys that we don't know about, so that's mm-hmm. for sure. But folks, we don't have stuff that can do that. Right. We do not have aircraft that can change directions in a 90-degree turn in midair and outrun a Super Hornet like it was standing still. We do not have stuff that can do that, okay? It defies the laws of physics. It does. Yeah. It does. We, we just, it, it would, first, first of all, it would turn the pilot's brain to goo. Right. The, 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 the brain would, it would be sloshed against the skull. <laughs> you know? it, 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 we, we don't have the technology to get anywhere near that kind of aerial maneuver. Right. So, so, you know, so to me, that's a very, the, the, the final, the final second of that video is what's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, this thing makes an aerial maneuver that, that can't be done. And I wonder, I wonder how, how much longer it's going to take until the government finally just says, yeah, you know what? We knew about this all along. Well, 
I know the answer to that question if you want to know it. Sure, yeah. And hit it, me with it. And it's publicly available information yeah. again. So <laughs> this goes back to something called the the Brookings. Uh, let's say let's see if I can remember the long name of it. The Brookings Institution Research Report on the, the Possibility of Extraterrestrial Life, 1968. What happened was that, and this this is a matter of public record. You can look this up if you're if if you're dogging enough about it. It's not easy to find, but it's out there. Uh, what what happened is that the in 1968, so this is our bell show too. <laughs> uh, the um, 1968, we began the Apollo Moon program. Mm -hmm. By the way, we did go to the moon. Yeah, it wasn't staged. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but we haven't been back since '72, which is interesting all by itself. And we're talking about going back, though, aren't they? They they're setting up yeah, some missions absolutely. to go back. Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about why that would be a good idea because it is a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, um, back nineteen sixty eight, the beginning of well, the Apollo program was uh, was the sixties, but the actual rockets, actually, the launches started in sixty eight. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so uh, we up from nineteen sixty when Kennedy sixty three, I think uh, the. No, I forget the exact day that Kennedy announced it. Forgive me, but you know the famous speech. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to do it because it's easy. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to do it by the end of the decade, yeah. right? Exactly. I think it was 1960. Um, so, so in 1968, when it became apparent that hey, we're going to do this, we're sending rockets into space, and they're manned rockets. Mm -hmm. The government, supposedly NASA, but nobody knows really knows who paid for it or who hired them. That's okay. what that's what we don't know. But there was this, there was this uh, government-funded, we think, uh, a 1968 report by the Brookings Institution, which was a research and data collection firm in Washington D.C., mm -hmm. and they were and they were asked a very simple question: If the United States were to pursue uh, were were to pursue pursue a uh, a spacecraft program that included leaving the Earth's atmosphere, what, in your opinion, this is the government asking the Brookings Institution? Uh, it, what is, in your opinion, what is the possibility of our astronauts running into people who are not from the neighborhood, <laughs> aka extraterrestrial life? Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and so they took a while to think about it. You know, you ever, you ever see the uh, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, where they, love have to, that <laughs> they have to think about it for a thousand years? Yeah, I love it. I love they didn't take a thousand years, but um, to they, find uh, out the truth. Yeah, but they nobody knows when the question was actually posed or how long it took. Supposedly, took a couple years for them to come up with the answer. They came up with the answer in 1968, just before we started launching the Apollo rockets, and the the recommendations of the Brookings Institution report was uh, twofold. And, and they said, and I, I wish I had the exact language in front of me. I was looking at it earlier today. But to paraphrase, they said, if the United States persists in a program of sending, uh, sending a manned spacecraft outside of Earth's orbit, this institute can, uh, considers it highly likely that, uh, that one or more of the astronauts will eventually encounter extraterrestrial life. So uh, that that was uh, that was a, where did they get that information? We don't know. Right now, part two was in the event, and the, this is the answer. Part two of the of the recommendation was uh, from the Brookings Institution was in in the event that a United States astronaut does come across extraterrestrial life while on a mission, it is the recommendation of this institute that that information be kept from the American public to avoid civil unrest 
and 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 you know riots in the streets, as they say. Wow, civil unrest is one of the terms they use to right. to, to avoid panic. Panic is the word I was looking for to avoid panic and civil unrest. Because that's absolutely what would happen. So I absolutely I like to give people more credit than that. I like to think that people can handle this information, but the. the the company line, as it were, is that the United States and all of the other space programs on Earth, not just the United States, they're all following the recommendations of the Brookings Institution report to this very day. Wow. And, and that's, that, yeah, and this, and that's not, that's not something uh, that I made up from my book. You right. can look, it's called the Brookings Institute report uh, for short, or the Brookings Institution, a research report on the possibility of extraterrestrial life. That's the whole name of the report. Wow. And so that's uh, if that's the kind of thing that you find when you go too far down the rabbit hole, yeah. like I like I did. That's why I said, "Well, welcome to the rabbit hole. Well, welcome to Wonderland, Brandon." Because yeah, uh, I love it. Because you know yeah. what, I want to believe. Yeah, and I talk I really and, I, and I talk about that in, in in my book, and that's that's a criticism because you know who who are, who who why do they get to make that decision? Right. Because they have the power, and yeah. They, 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 they need, the they need to control the people because the people ultimately fuel their economies and yeah, uh, line their pockets. People, if it's true, if we're not all just kidding ourselves, then people have the right to know that we're not the only ones in the neighborhood. And you know, if you ever saw the movie Contact, I mean, love that movie. Look, look at a couple things. There's a couple things here that somebody sitting at home listening to a podcast going, God. Damn it, Brandon! They had, had the ghost whispers on talking about ghosts. Now you have them talking about UFOs. Uh, they, you, you belong on the you belong on the the TV with the Sunday morning coots who think they can heal people. That was one of the criticisms, you know. Which, by the way, you know, you're welcome to your opinion, sir. I, I, I appreciate that. But let's think about two things here: the vastness of the vastness of space and what we know about space. And we know that there are just mathematically, let alone being able to find them, we know that there are planets orbiting other stars that are in the Goldilocks zone mm -hmm. that could very, very possibly could right have, the, have the right conditions for life. Absolutely. You know, we, and, and the, you know, it took Voyager that was launched in 1976 over 30 years to leave our solar system. Mm -hmm. And our solar system is a tiny little speck of nothingness inside of the, the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. And we're on the, we're on the outer rims to use a, to use a uh, firefly term. <laughs> you know, we're we're on the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy. Who knows what's closer to the center and what's in the center of the Milky Way galaxy? And that galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is one little speck of galaxies in the overall universe. And mm -hmm. and you know it's just it's enough to make you feel insignificant. You know, real quick. And and all of that, you're saying we're the only ones. We're the only time in all of that space and all of those stars and all of those planets, we're the only one that developed this. Yeah. Like to, like Jack Nicholson says in the, the famous movie, what if this is as good as it gets? <laughs> yeah. No Come kidding. on, people. Do the math. Yeah. Do the math. That there you got to be ignorant to think that there's nothing right. out there. And, and one of the things that I'm fond of saying is, you know, just step back. It's really easy because a human lifetime is not very long. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to think, oh my God, you know, we're, we're so great. Look at the technology we have. And there's, well, step back a minute. You know, the Wright brothers flew in 1903. Yeah. So less than 120 years ago. So, and that that makes me wonder. Yeah. How many times civilizations have risen and fallen right. and started over? You know, yeah. like we 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 only have records of going back millions of years only. To Cro-Magnon times, and, you know, but what if before that 
there were people like us with civilizations and technology and they're just not, they were just reduced to rubble and they're, you know, it just reset itself. And so how many times has something like this happened? And this type of reality. There's archaeological evidence for that. Right. There, there are ruins off of the coasts of every major continent. Right. That we can't explain. Mm-hmm. Makes you, know, you wonder. The Atlantis thing, you know, the people, we, we went from the wooden wagon wheel to being able to, uh, to, to being able to put robots on Mars in a little more than a human lifetime. Right. 120 years. We went from wagon wheels made of wood and stretched metal mm-hmm. uh, to robots on Mars. And and you want to sit there and tell me that we didn't have any help. Right. Really? Th- thank you. I've been thinking that this whole time. Thank you. Gosh. To think of it, you know, 120 years we did all that. What? And, and then look at the hundreds of years that happened before that. I know all about the Industrial Revolution. I understand mm. how it happened. But... But look at it, and you can you can see where it all exploded. It exploded with the microchip. Yep. And when when we figured out how to miniaturize computers, bam. Yeah. All all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we went from we went from the Brady Bunch to the Jetsons. And it's it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a weird thing because it happened like around nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, right around that that sweet spot of Roswell, yeah. and man. I love this stuff. I just, I love, I love just, just trying to figure it out, but also I love the mystery of it because it just keeps you going. Yeah. Welcome to the rabbit hole, everybody. I love it. <laughs> well, Brent, thank you so much. We, we, I, I would love to keep going, sure. um, but I, I want to have you back on and we could talk more about the book after I read a little sure. bit more author, journalist, scientist, uh, <laughs> just all around great dude. Brent, thank you so much for being here. Um, and obviously, uh, thank you to Melissa for letting me borrow Brent. Um, and of course, if you want to check out uh, Sac Spirit's uh, website, sacspirit.com, that's the Sacramento Paranormal Intuitive Research Investigation Team. They do great work. They work on donation basis. They're doing this all out of the kindness of their own hearts. And also, to, uh, to they, they want to find the answers. They want to get the proof out there, too. So, um, again, thank you so much for being here, and uh, I can't wait to have you back. Oh, Brandon, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Just remember, everybody, a closed mind never changed the world. There you go. Namaste, fuckers. The Rad Podcast.